Happy New Year. Last day of the year, 2017, flew by. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're working our way through a summer in the Psalms. Being summer, a great number of the church family are away. Um, and as Herman said, we're those that are left behind, but we're left behind to worship the Lord. And so um, the joke's on them. But I trust that you do get some time to, to, to have a break over summer. Uh, I noticed in previous years, there's shift changes. There's a January, late January crew that go. There's a February crew that go. Um, but just ensure that you do enjoy a, a wonderful time over this beautiful weather. Uh, but what wonderful uh, opportunity and privilege it is out for us to uh, worship the Lord. And we're going to continue in our summer of Psalms this morning. And we end 2017 by looking at Psalm 34. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 34. I first, I first preached from this text at the Master's Seminary and then preached it again while candidating. And every time I revisit this psalm, I'm just in awe of the Lord who is a provider and a deliverer. And uh, I trust that you'll be greatly blessed as we work our way through this psalm. This truly is a remarkable psalm, a beautiful psalm, a psalm that sets before our hearts and minds the reality, and mark this down, the reality that God's never-failing care demands unfailing praise. God's never-failing care demands unfailing praise. For the sake of time, we're not going to read Psalm 34, but we will work our way through it, and by the end, we'll have read the entire psalm. But turn with me, if you haven't already, Psalm 34. Some background to this psalm, 1 Samuel tells us the account of David as it pertains to this psalm. There aren't many psalms in the Psalter, the five books made up of 150 psalms, there aren't many psalms that give us in the, what's called, you recall, the superscription, that's those little words above each and every psalm, there aren't many psalms that give us an insight into the full context of that psalm, but this is one of them. This speaks of the account of the life of David where he reached the lowest point of his life. The lowest point. You can either turn to 1 Samuel or simply listen as I survey our way through it as we take some time just to glean what we can from the superscription, those little words above the psalm, just to truly understand the significance of this psalm. 1 Samuel 17 tells us about how this young boy, David, had stood before the Philistines, namely Goliath, and now he had, with some smooth stones and a sling, taken down this very large man. As a result of this, the king at the time, a man named Saul, right, became, began to envy this young David. And what added to this ever-growing envy was the fact that people with an instrument in hand and vocal cords began to sing in 1 Samuel 18 verse 7, Saul has slain thousands and David tens of thousands. And so this made King Saul incredibly angry and from that moment on, Saul looked upon David with an envious suspicion. This envy led to Saul wanting to kill David. In fact, Saul tried numerous times to do so. He threw spears at him on occasions. And so David was on the run from King Saul. 1 Samuel 18 verse 14 tells us, in the midst of being on the receiving end of these attempts upon his life at the hand of the king, it says, David was prospering in all his ways because God was with him. Interesting. So, with an evil spirit and a desire to destroy, Saul continued to pursue after David. You recall Jonathan was King Saul's son and David and Jonathan were best friends. Scripture tells us that they had knit their very heart together, their very soul together. And because of all the sin that was going on with Saul trying to kill David and the like, these two best friends had to part ways when Saul made it abundantly clear that he was going to kill David. And so David was fleeing from place to place, fearing for his life. And God was delivering him. 
he fled to the king of Gath. Akish was his name. And on his way to the servants, on his way there, the servants of this king said, Is this not David, the king of Israel? Or the king of the land, rather? David then obviously began to greatly fear King Achish of Gath because Achish's own servants were calling David the king of the land. And so gripped by fear, full of anxiety over Saul, who was trying to kill him, that's where we find ourselves at the events that are described in this superscription, these little words above the psalm. It says there, and look at the top of the psalm, a psalm of David where he feigned madness, or where he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. In Old Testament times, men had several names. Abimelech and Achish, we believe, are the same person, the same king of Gath. And so, 1 Samuel 21 verse 13 says that David disguised his, ins- his sanity before them and acted insanely. So what happens is David's on the run, David flees, and out of fear and worry and anxiety, David disguises his sanity before Abimelech by acting as an insane person. And if you read 1 Samuel 21 verse 13, it says that He scribbled on the doors of the gate, banged his head there, and let saliva run down into his beard. David, in front of this king, full of fear and worry. And as a result of this, Achish the king let David depart. He says there later on in 1 Samuel, Don't I already have enough (laughs) madmen? Let him depart. And depart David did. And he went up to a cave. And up in that cave, he sat down in despair, in a fearful state, and he wrote Psalm 34. He penned this psalm in that cave. That's the context. It's in this psalm, on this day, that you and I will begin to see just how wonderful our God is. It's in this psalm... I pray that will minister to your very soul this New Year's Eve. You see, perhaps you're gripped by worry. Perhaps you're gripped by fear. Perhaps you are bound up with pressing and perplexing circumstances this morning. As Christians, we're not immune from that. As elders, we're not immune from that. As pastors, we're certainly not immune from that. And so here, as a people perhaps bound up with pressing and perplexing circumstances, this psalm will be a great blessing to us, I trust. Maybe the Lord has placed you in a situation where you are in need of some type of deliverance this morning. Well, I want you to know, and the psalmist wants us to know, that our mighty God listens and our mighty God delivers. Our powerful God takes note to our cries And He delivers us. Our God hears our prayers and our God provides a way out in this life or in the life to come in the new heavens and the new earth in glory. Psalm 34 is a psalm of deliverance. This is a psalm of David where he responds in praise to God. In proclamation of praise to God. In the midst of heartache and despair, it's a model for us to do the same. As you and I face trials and tribulations in this life of all sorts, you see, the God who delivered David from the paw of the lion, as you read, from the claws of the bear, as you also read about, from spears thrown to take his life, from a king bent on his blood, from his own son who sought to destroy his life. You see, the God who delivered... David from those things is our God too. He's the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. So as we begin to work our way through this text this morning, may it be an encouragement to you. May our 
May the mighty providential hand of God be on display this morning. And may you find in Him much adoration and praiseworthiness. May this be a roadmap for you and I out of our current predicament or a blueprint in preparation for a future predicament and trial and tribulation that we will find ourselves in. May it serve as those things. So, this psalm, penned by the hand of David, after it reached the lowest point in his life, will model for us an attitude of gratitude to the Lord. An attitude of gratitude. And this morning in Psalm 34, we'll consider four aspects of this psalm of David so that we too can cultivate and live out an attitude of gratitude. That's what we must be about as the people of God. Grateful to God. Praising God. I want to lay out four headings that will serve us as we walk through all 22 verses. That's a lot of verses. You may have regretted that last song, Mr. Ellis. Number one. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. The praising of God, number one, in verses one through three. The poor man's deliverance in verses 4 through 7. We'll see the persistent call to godly living in verses 8 to 14. And in verses 15 through to 22, to close out the psalm, we'll see the plea unto the righteous. And so let's begin with the first aspect of this psalm that will cultivate and ensure that we live out an attitude of gratitude to our great God. The praising of God in verses 1 through three. Look there in your Bible. David says, I will. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. He says, I will. This is the individual aspect to praise. We'll see in just a moment a corporate and collective aspect to praise. But here's the individual aspect to praise. After the Lord delivered David, after he freed David, after he rescued David from these difficult circumstances, David turns in the safety of a cave. After being delivered time and time again, David then makes a commitment to bless the Lord at all times. What does it look like to bless the Lord? Well, he tells us there, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's what it looks like to bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. At all times, continually. Now, the word bless means to kneel. To kneel. To adore with bended knee. To come before the Lord and adore Him and boast of what He's done. The word praise is where we get our word that we just sung. Hallelujah. It means to shout forth, to proclaim, and to boast. David has set his mind on a type of praising without ceasing. This is an Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament Testament command in Philippians 4.4 to rejoice always. Now, to pray without ceasing, which is laid out in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, is to live in a constant and continual awareness of the need to live prayerfully. Well, in the exact same way, this praising of God is to praise without ceasing. We are to pray without ceasing and we are to praise without ceasing. You notice that this praise is in David's mouth? That is to say that praise for David is continually awaiting its proclamation. It's locked and loaded, ready to praise. Jesus said in Matthew 12:34 and Luke 6:45 from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The point is this, a heart resolved to praise God will have a mouth that praises God. We praise God not in silence. We praise God verbally. The continual overflow of a heart committed to vocalizing the goodness of God is seen here in the beginning of verse 1 where a determined David filled with gratitude for God says, not out of some type of duty, 
but out of sheer delight, I will. I will. David continues on and says in verse 2, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. That is, all that gives him life, his very being, will come forth in boastful praise to the Lord. He says there in verse 2, The humble will hear it and rejoice. This is a transition now from individual praise to collective and corporate praise. The humble, or put another way, the afflicted, those who had once been high, those who had once been all haughty, but have now been brought low, who have acknowledged their need for deliverance, they and they alone will hear it and rejoice. The proud won't. It'll fall on deaf ears. For the prideful, a closed heart. You see, the prideful man or person boasts in himself, praises himself in what he has, in what he has accomplished, what he's capable of. The proud man will not render gratitude to where gratitude is truly due. And the proud man lacks thankfulness. Let me illustrate. 100 years ago, at Northwestern University in Chicago, which had its campus on Lake Michigan, was a group of lifesavers. And a young, strong man by the name of Edward Spencer, a man who was there training for a life devoted to pastoral ministry, found himself on the receiving end of a distress call that a ferry had gone down. Edward would then spend the next hours swimming back and forth through the currents And the waves pulling survivor after survivor back to the shore. 17 of them in total. He never completely recovered from that ordeal. He would never enter pastoral ministry as a result. He finished his studies. Instead of living a... Instead, he lived a secluded life, partially disabled, the account says. But years later... A pastor from Chicago was speaking in Los Angeles and recounting the event. And a man leapt up from his seat and yelled out that Edward Spencer was actually present here in the meeting. And with that, the pastor urged Edward to come into the pulpit. And in old age, fragile, Edward slowly climbed the stairs. And while a long and loud applause rang out throughout the building as he came up to the pulpit, The pastor then asked Edward if anything stood out in his mind. And to which Edward, old, said this, Only this, sir. Of the 17 people that I saved, not one of them thanked me. Not one. You see, here David is doing the only thing that you and I can do. That is, to render to God that which belongs to Him. Praise from our mouth for what He's done. The praising of God is what we must be about. Praising God for all that He's done verbally by way of our mouth. You think about it, it's the antidote to a lack of gratitude. Praising God in the good, but particularly praising God in the bad is the solution to dealing with many afflictions that come our way, whether strained relationships, whether health. The solution and the antidote. And the only thing reasonable enough to do for all that God has done for us is to praise God with our mouth. It's the key to responding to trials and suffering in a way that honors the Lord. So we must each individually commit to praise the Lord The individual aspect to our praise we see in verses 1 and 2. We see that it's contagious. We see in verse 3 a corporate call to praise the Lord. He says in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. A corporate call. An invitation to all believers in the one true God to lift His name high to praise Him with our mouth for His goodness. 
David had resolved to bless the Lord. And with excitement and with zeal, he calls on others to do the same. Individual praise ignites others to praise. Is there a praise that you can pass on? Are you so full and contagious and infectious with the praise of God that you can pass it on? It must forever be flowing forth from our lips. Have you been so overwhelmed at the providential hand of God that you can praise Him and thereby lead and encourage others to do the same? It's a great challenge for us, is it not? We must not shut up our mouths. We must praise God for the good, for the bad, and the ugly. I trust that an acute awareness of all that God has done for you and I results in a life lived praising God with our lives and with our mouths. And understand this, if there is a lack of praise, there is a lack of gratitude. If there is a lack of praise that comes forth from my lips and your lips, there is a lack of gratitude. And what an indictment upon the people of God if we display an ingratitude to God. Let's praise the Lord, both individually and corporately. May it be said of you and I as individuals and as this church family here at Riverbend, wow, they truly are thankful to God (laughs) for all that He provides in both our lives individually and as a church. They really are a people thankful to God. That's the first aspect. The second aspect of this psalm we will see so that we can cultivate and live out an attitude of gratitude is found in verses 4 through 7. It's the poor man's deliverance. Look there. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. David inquired of our great God and David received an answer from our great God. He sought the Lord for help and the Lord helped. He prayed and prayed and prayed. Dear friends, our God hears our prayers and our God delivers. Now, He may not deliver in this life and He may have you go through hardship till you go to be with Him when there will be no more sin and sickness and suffering and pain. He may bring others alongside and His grace to help you minister through your difficult circumstance. It was probably very cold and difficult up in a cave. There probably wasn't a comfy bed and a comfy pillow up in that cave for David. But I tell you what, he could still praise the Lord and say, he delivered me. We don't get delivered to utopia. That kind of thing comes when we go to be with the Lord. But David prays and our God hears and our God delivers. And here, specifically... David was delivered from all his fears. Spurgeon observed this, God clears away both our fears and their causes, all of them without exception. Glory be to his name, prayer sweeps the field, slays all the enemies, and he says, even buries their bones, end quote. Are you gripped by fear? worry, anxiety. This morning, our fears of the future, fears of the past, consuming your life. Well, understand that our God truly hears and our God truly delivers. David had gone through prolonged trauma. David was devastated. He was overwhelmed. He was overcome. And I want you to note, please note this, David didn't turn to himself for help. No self-help gurus in that day. He didn't turn to himself. He didn't even necessarily initially turn to others for help. He went where it's rightly to go first. To the Lord in prayer and he sought the Lord. And as a result, and in God's good timing, he delivered David from his all-consuming fears and worries and anxieties. The word for fear means trapped. Trapped. David was overwhelmed by the feeling of being trapped. You ever felt trapped? Ever felt, ever felt so 
anxious or fearful or worrisome that you have felt literally trapped and gripped in a vice? That's what David felt. He sought the Lord and God released him. Wow. So much though, so much so, verse 5 tells us, such peace and joy filled his heart, his countenance was radiant. Verse 6, pouring more praise upon God, he says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. It is not the person rich in their own spiritual resources that sees themselves capable of their own rescuing who cries out to the Lord. They see no need, the one who is rich in their own spiritual self-worth. The one who is delivered is the one who is poor. Not financially, spiritually. When Jesus stood up on the mountain, you recall, in Matthew 5, and sat down and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He is saying that the blessed man is he who understands the utter bankrupt predicament he's in as it pertains to spiritual resources. It's he and he alone that is blessed. He's poor in spirit. David was fully aware that he was indeed a poor man. And he says, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard in heaven. The poor man cries and the Lord hears. The prideful man cries and the prayers don't even go through the ceiling. You see, it was trouble that David was saved from. It's trouble that you and I are saved from. The God who delivered is the same God who delivers us. And not only does God save us from trouble, He protects us from trouble. Let me explain why. Look at verse 7. God protects us by sending, it says there in verse 7, the angel of the Lord. Now, this is really cool. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. I can remember being in seminary one day and Dr. Barrick, who knows 27 languages, has been here before. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. <laughs> they finish the translation and then send it off to Dr. Barak, the Hebrew, to make sure it's all kosher, pardon the pun. I remember Dr. Barak walked into seminary chapel one day and he said, listen, a vast, vast majority, some 90-something percent of any time you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it speaks of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening here. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He's here in our text. And he's seen protecting those who fear him. So not only are we delivered, we're protected. Angel can be rendered messenger or ambassador. It's the messenger, the promised Messiah who's here in verse 7, who rescues those who fear God. Fear God. Hang on, I, I, I mean, I thought perfect love casts out fear. Isn't our good God a God of love? Why do I need to fear? Well, yes, He is a God of love, but He must be revered reverential fear. That's what it means to fear God, to, to revere Him, to be in awe of Him. And that reverential fear results in faithful obedience. Only the poor man comes to the foot of the cross where Jesus Christ is. Only the poor man comes to the man, Jesus Christ, who came to seek and save that which is lost. Only the poor man cries out, in his time of need, in his time of help. And only the poor man is delivered. Are you rich or poor this morning? Are you washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiven of your sins? Or do you stand rich in self and see no need to cry out? 
This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. As the messenger of God, the angel of God here, Jesus Christ rescued you this morning. A young person here, having not yet given your life to Jesus Christ. Middle-aged person, been in this church most of your life. Older person, perhaps not yet ever given your life to Jesus Christ. Husband, spouse, no indication in your life that you've been rescued from Jesus Christ. Well, you must flee to Jesus Christ. He rescues. The third aspect of this psalm we'll see so that we can cultivate and live out an attitude for gratitude is found in verses 8 through 14. It's the persistent call to godly living. We've seen the praising of God, this individual and corporate aspect. We've seen the poor man's deliverance and how he cries out to God and praises God, that that God has saved him out of all his troubles. That Jesus Christ literally encamps himself around all those who fear God and protects them. You and I walk with a safety net around us as the people of God. Does this not cultivate an attitude of gratitude for you and I? That God has done so much for us. The third aspect is a persistent call to godly living. This, this bursting forth of praise that, that is a transition from David where he now has this persistent call to godly living. And he says there in verse 8, and you just want to you just want to melt and, and, and scream it out. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. A persistent reminder here as sheep of the good shepherd prone to wander as those prone to wander we need a persistent reminder that's what david transitions here he gives us a persistent call to godly living in this present age i mean look at the persistency here look in verse 8 taste and see verse 9 fear the lord verse 11 come and see keep in verse 13 depart in verse 14 David is persistent in his call. He has seen, he has experienced just how wonderful the mighty, providential, delivering hand of God is and now enthusiastically calls on everyone and anyone to come and taste and see that the Lord is very, very good. What exactly does this mean in verse 8? Well, what David is wanting... Is for all people, in all places, facing every type of predicament to experience that I have been on the receiving end of God's abundant and plentiful provision. And I want you to be on the receiving end of them too. That's what David's saying there in verse 8. God has been so incredibly, abundantly wonderful to me. And I want you to be on the receiving end of them too. Come and taste and see that Yahweh, the one true God, is so very, very good. Verse 8 says that it's the blessed man. The blessed man who takes refuge in him, who comes and tastes, who comes and sees, and who comes and camps out. That's the blessed person. The person who is content, the person who is truly joyful, the person who is truly happy is the one who has made God his refuge. Now, to make God our refuge is to make him our our very shelter, our protection, our harbor, our fortress. Proverbs 18.10 says, "The the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and is safe. Who's your refuge today? Who is your refuge today? Who do you run to? Self or the sovereign? Who do you and I flee to in time of trouble? Because I tell you one thing, my dear, dear brothers and sisters, we must fear and we must seek. 
Let me show you. Look at verse 9. I fear the Lord. Look at verse 10. But they who seek the Lord shall be not in want of any good thing. Those who fear and seek the Lord will not be in want. This echoes Psalm 23 verse 1, does it not? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I shall not want because my Lord provides, protects, blesses. There's an illustration in verse 10. The young lions, it says, do lack and suffer hunger. Wow. The young lions. That is, the fit and the strong. The self-sufficient. The non-reliant. says there, they will suffer loss and hunger. But in contrast, they who seek the Lord shall not be left wanting any good thing. David then moves to teach us exactly what a life lived in the fear of the Lord looks like. He poses the question in verse 12, Who is the man who desires life and love length of days that he may see good? It's a question that's posed. Here's what it looks like. To fear the Lord and seek the Lord. And to be this type of person in verse 12. Cease from evil and stop telling lies. Cease from evil and stop telling lies. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Always be about pursuing peace. Never hold the door closed. Always be about pursuing peace. If you and I truly fear God, our lives will display those two characteristics. We must fear and we must seek. And if we're fearing and seeking, we'll cease from evil and stop telling lies. We'll do good, we'll seek peace, and we'll pursue it. Sinclair Ferguson says this, quote, A proper fear of God is that indefinable mixture of reverence and pleasure, joy and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what He has done for us. It is a love for God which is so great that we would be ashamed to do anything which would displease or grieve Him and makes us happiest when we are doing what pleases Him. End quote. So, we've seen that our praising of the Lord is to be continuous. It's to be ongoing. It's to flow forth from our lips in verses 1 through 3. We've seen the poor man's cry and the poor man's rescuing in verses 4 through 7. The persistent reminder to godly living is what we've just considered. And now the fourth and final aspect of this psalm that we will see so that we can cultivate and live out an attitude of gratitude to our God is the plea to the righteous in verses 15 through 22. The plea to the righteous. The focus here is upon the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Verse 15. The righteous cry and the Lord hears. Verse 17. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Verse 19. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 21. The focus is on the righteous here. This is a plea. To be made righteous before God, one must come by repentance and faith, a turning away from sin and a trusting in Jesus Christ. Believing that He died for your sin and rose again for your justification. In verses 15 and 16, David uses figurative language here to speak of the Lord's eyes and ears. And face. Figurative language. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Take encouragement that the eyes of the Lord are always toward you. 
His ever-present, watchful, caring, and providing eye is watching over the Christian, even in the most difficult and dire, desperate circumstances. His ever-watchful eye is always watching over you and I. The ears, the ears of the Lord are attentive to our cry in time of need. When we cry, our Heavenly Father hears. We don't serve a cruel God. As His children, we seek our Father's help and He hears. Now you think, hang on, well, I'm facing health difficulties, I'm facing relational difficulties, I'm facing marriage difficulties, I'm facing finance, I'm facing all sorts of difficulties and it doesn't seem like He's listening, it doesn't seem like He's hearing. By faith, we believe and trust in a good and awesome God who is a good and awesome Father. You see, God sees what we do and hears what we say. He sees what we do and He hears what we say. For those who live an obedient life before the Lord, that is a comforting reality. For those who live a disobedient life, a life in rebellion to God, a life full of habitual sin, that is a haunting reality. God sees what we do and hears what we say. Look at verse 16. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut them off from the memory of the earth. But the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near, verse 18, to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is my favorite psalm. Let's just stay here till New Year. What does that all mean? Well, many afflictions, many deliveries. If you're an evildoer, you will be cut off from the earth. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every cry is heard in heaven. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Wow. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus said, in this world there will be tribulation. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul said, will suffer persecution. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you to believe, and not only to believe, but to suffer. We share in the sufferings of Christ. Scorned by the ones He came to save. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but then look, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. As I said, maybe not in this life, but certainly in the one to come if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in this life, where He provides many afflictions, yeah, I said that, where He provides many afflictions. There are many blessings in this life that help us endure the trials of life. People, the Word of God. Verse 20, look at verse 20. Interesting, he says, He keeps all His bones, not one of them is broken. Well, you've heard that before, right? This was fulfilled in John chapter 19, verses 32 to 36, in the account of the soldiers not breaking the bones of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. And then verse 22. 21 is a marvelous promise. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But look at verse 22 as we close. 
The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The psalm began with this, if you will, loud call to praise God individually and corporately. So the psalm began with a call to praise. The psalm concludes with the mention of propitiation. The Lord redeems the soul of His servant. You see, it's one thing, dear people, to be delivered from trials here on earth. But it's another to be delivered from an eternity in hell. When you live for self, it's your own glory that you seek. But when you are redeemed, it is for God's glory that you seek. And when you take refuge in God, there is no condemnation. Only moment by moment, day by day opportunities to praise God. Jesus was walking on his way to Jerusalem one day. He was between Samaria and Galilee and he entered into a village. You know the story, ten lepers came to him. These ten suffering lepers cried out to Jesus, please have mercy on us. Jesus heard their cry. And he answered them and he sent them on their way. Well, they were set free from their pain and suffering. They were healed of their disease. They were rescued from their painful predicament. They were delivered. As they all made their way, ten of them, all ten of them, only one turned back. He began to praise the Lord. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Jesus said, were there not ten who were healed? Were there not ten who I delivered from these dire circumstances? Only one has come back. Where are the nine? Now that account by Luke is primarily about the salvation of one man. But it most certainly displays an immense ingratitude for what God had done for nine men. Out of the nine, only one turned back. We've looked at four aspects of Psalm 34 to close out 2017. The praising of God, the poor man's deliverance, the persistent call to godly living, and the plea to the righteous. May an attitude of gratitude for God Himself and for His care of us, even when it seems like we're not being delivered from our affliction, cause each and every one of us to live with His praises continually flowing forth from our mouth. Let me ask you a question as we conclude 2017. Let me ask you a question. Would you be thankful for one who, as R.C. Sproul put it, doesn't just throw you a life rope when you're drowning, but actually goes down into the very bottom of the sea where you've sunk and pulls a dead corpse from the bottom of the sea, takes him up onto the bank, breathes in him the breath of life, and makes him alive. Would you be thankful for that? You would. Let's live with an attitude of gratitude, and may it individually and corporately be said of you and I that we love God because we praise God. God with our mouth. I love the summer in the Psalms. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness. Father, help us to bless you at all times. Help us to have praise that is continually in our mouth, bursting forth. Help our soul to make its boast in you. Help us to reflect upon those times where we sought you and you answered. Where you delivered us from our worries and anxieties and fears. 
Help us, Lord, to, to always come and taste and see your goodness. Help us to be that happy man, that joyful person, that content person who takes our refuge in you. Lord, help us to keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking lies. Help us to depart from evil and do good. Help us to seek peace and pursue it. We thank you, Lord, that the eyes of you are ever presently watching over us, that your ears are open to our cries. Thank you, Lord, that you're near to those that are brokenhearted, that you save those who are crushed in spirit. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege to be granted not only to believe but to suffer. But Lord, you deliver us in this life and in the life to come. Father, thank you that you have redeemed our soul. And thank you that, that having been redeemed, there is no condemnation. May we praise you. May you get great glory for yourself. Forgive us, Lord God, for when we haven't praised you. Forgive us, Lord, for this day when we've sinned against you. And help us, Lord, to walk faithfully before you with praise continually flowing forth from our lips. Thank you for the year. The good, the bad, the ugly. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us into next year. That we would be so humble and so low that you would bless us that you would pour out grace upon grace, that you would forgive us, Father, for where we have sinned against you. Lord, that we would begin next year by looking at Psalm 51, Father, and that we would come as a broken people seeking to honor you with our words, our life, our lips, our heart, our minds, our very soul. Thank you, dear God. We bless you, we praise you, we thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.